Hey friends, Pastor Brooks here. I just want to thank you for checking out this podcast and to acknowledge that this teaching was created in collaboration with Practicing the Way and John Mark Homer. They are doing great work to provide discipleship resources for the church, and so we give them our gratitude and encourage you to check them out at practicingtheway.org. For now, enjoy the podcast. Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verse 12 through 15. Thank you, Nghĩ, để làm nên nhận thánh như Đức Giê Hô Ba Đức Chúa Trời của con đã truyền dạy. Con phải làm tất cả công việc mình trong sáu ngày. Như ngày thứ bảy là ngày nghỉ dành cho Giê Hô Ba Đức Chúa Trời của con. Trong ngày đó, con, con trai, con gái, con trai, con gái, bò lừa hay bất cứ số vật nào của con. Cả đến cả đến ngoài kiều ở trong thành của con đều không được làm việc để cho con trai, con gái của con cũng được nghỉ như con. Hãy nhớ rằng con đã làm nô lệ trong xứ Ai Cập và Đức giê hô Đức Chúa Trời của con đã gian cánh tay đầy quyền năng đem con ra khỏi đó. Vì vậy, Đức giê hô Đức Chúa Trời của con đã truyền dạy con phải giữ ngày nghỉ. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from where? Brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We come now with our praises. We come and we give you our attention. And we invite you to meet us here where we are and to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. On April 30th, 1975, uh, Viet Cong forces took control of Saigon, then the, the capital of South Vietnam, ending the Vietnam War, changing the course of history forever, and forcing multitudes to flee the country that was their home, their motherland, to leave houses, belongings, jobs, families, friends, loved ones, significant others, all that our forefathers and foremothers held dear, along with their identities. Life as they knew it was ravaged by long years of war and bloodshed, uh, hopes and dreams torn down and, and dashed to pieces. And in that moment, you know, in that moment, who has the time to dream anymore? When you're just trying to survive, who has the luxury of dreaming? You know, when you're, when you're grasping for a ticket out of the war zone, away from the chaos and away from the death, who has time to even think about hope? 
All you can do is grasp. Grasp for the hand of a marine pulling you onto a helicopter. Grasp for a way onto that next boat out. Grasp for any shred of luck, because when your country has been torn apart and all that you love is as good as dead, hope is a distant dream, and then you turn your sights to luck and desperation. Many of our parents and grandparents have stories crazier than we even know or can imagine. Stories of tragedy, of atrocities, of upheaval and uprooting, stories of narrow escapes, Stories of long days at sea, not knowing where they'd end up or if they'd even survive. Stories of pirate attacks and sanitary hell. Grasping. But even, even before the climax and the end of the war, it was already a life of grasping. You know, here in America, we know and we experience first world problems. Before our first generation, the struggle was much harder, longer, and a whole lot grimier. And for, for many of our parents and grandparents, it was a life of grasping from the start, from the day they were born. For my mom's family, it was poor rural life. Uh, my grandma was a single mother of five, struggling to make ends meet for the family. Uh, for much of their early life, my aunts abandoned any dreams of education and they just worked alongside my grandma to survive. It was a life of grasping. My dad's father, my grandpa, was abducted during the war and presumably killed. And his wife, my grandma, struggled to support a family of eight. And so my dad and his younger brother actually ended up in an orphanage. Meanwhile, the rest of the family toiled to get by. A life of grasping. Then the war. Fear. Tragedy death, loss. And then somehow, by, by a fortunate turn of events, a sliver of sheer luck, and by an act of divine grace, they end up here in America. The land of dreams, the land of opportunity. No more machine guns, no more artillery shells or bombs in the middle of the night. The need to sleep with one eye open, a little less dire, but now this question, how do we make it in a new strange country with no money, no possessions, not knowing the language? Now like, like the ancient Israelites before us, foreigners in a new land, enter an entirely new struggle, an entirely new chapter of grasping. Our parents and grandparents grasped for any jobs they could get. Janitors, dishwashers, my mom was lucky enough to find her first job at Wendy's. Uh, some were lucky enough to have the support of sponsors. Uh, my parents were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go through high school and college here in the States. But that wasn't everyone's experience. But through grit, determination, help, and tireless toil, they made it. After a life filled with multiple chapters and stages of grasping, they made it. Many of us stand here today on the shoulders of our forebears. And where we are today 
We are where we are today in large part due to the toil and the struggle, the grasping of our parents. But sadly, the grasping never quite ends because it just so happens that that is part of the curse of the human condition. God says to Adam and Eve, after they listen to the serpent, disobey God and eat of the forbidden fruits, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And so, we continue to grasp. We see our parents continue to toil, even after securing stable jobs and comfortable living, the grasping continues. Investments, side hustles, new ploys to make more and to work less, except that even after more is made and gained, the work never ends. I need to make enough for my retirement. I need to make sure that my kids are set so that they don't have to struggle the way that I did. Grasping for comfort, security, wealth, accumulation, investments, more, more, more. The grasping doesn't actually end. Stopping is pretty much out of the question. And the curse is passed on to the next generation. I'll go right out and say it. Most of us, second generation, third generation, most of us don't work as hard as our parents did. But that doesn't mean that we do not live a life of grasping. We are always grasping for more. More shows, more episodes, more content, more feeds, more likes, more pleasure, more distractions, more money, more possessions, more status. I think I'll add more AP classes, more extracurriculars, more way to pad and puff up my college applications, more clothes, more shoes, more gadgets. I am constantly grasping for more control so that I don't have to trust God as much. I grasp for security and comfort. I grasp for that new jacket I would love to buy. I grasp for the approval of others. Whatever I have, whatever we have, never seems to be enough. Anyone, <laughs> this is incriminating. Anyone here have parents who are hoarders? No one's going to dare raise their hand right now because they're sitting here. Now, honestly, be honest. Oh, yes, thank you, Gabe. <laughs> oh, no, outed. Uh, now, let's be honest. Are you any different? Are we any different? Honestly, I'm not. Amanda's been getting, trying to get me to clear out my closet for decades, or not decades, years. Generational traits, generational patterns, and generational sins get passed on. Here we are, the second generation, the third generation, out of the war zone, but still living lives of more grasping. Always grasping, always restless, never restful. The curse runs deep. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be depressing, though, if it actually ended there? Uh, don't worry. There's hope. There's always hope. Grab your Bibles, and please turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're just going to pick it up right in verse 2.
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested. Last week, we kicked off our teaching series on Sabbath. And we talked about how a life of constant grasping, a life of constant restlessness, and as a result, a life of constant tiredness, exhaustion, anxiety, and burnout was never the goal. This was not and is not God's plan and intention for your life. Jesus promises life, and life to the full. You know, it is not his will for you to be chronically tired and restless, always having to grasp. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop. God stopped and rested. God, the creator of the universe, who reigns over all and holds all things together, rested. Now, we have to understand that the concept of Sabbath or Shabbat goes beyond merely taking a day off or sleeping in or going to Hawaii. Shabbat is more holistic. Whole body, mind, spirit, rest. Rest for your souls. The kind of rest you cannot get from just a weekend of sleeping in or a trip to Hawaii. On Sabbath, we rest from work. And not just our paid work or our jobs. We, we rest from chores, from running errands, homework if you're a student. We, we put away our to-do lists. Sabbath leads us beyond merely refraining from work and into a place in which we stop thinking about work altogether. Easier said than done, I know. But science tells us that when we just think about work, even if we're not in the office or at work, our brains actually secrete the same stress chemicals as if we were at work. And so even when we're not in the office, when we're not awake, we just think about it, you're actually equally as stressed out. This is why I shut off my email notifications on Sabbath. But, when, but then Sabbath leads us even further. We rest from work. We rest from thinking about work. But we also rest from wanting. We rest from wanting more and we rest from worrying about not having enough and not being enough. We rest from grasping. From always needing to grasp for more. If you still have your Bibles open, turn back now to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Thank you, Hui, for reading that both in Vietnamese and English. We'll pick it up at chapter 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do no, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. 
that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. If you were here last week, uh, or if you listened to the podcast, you might be thinking, wait, didn't we, didn't we read and talk about that last week? Yes, kind of. We talked about Sabbath being a life rhythm woven into the fabric of creation by God. We talked about how it's a gift, and then how God makes it a command. That was in Exodus. Fun fact, you may or may not know that the Ten Commandments are actually written twice in the Old Testament. It was recorded the first time in Exodus, which we read last week, for the generation of Israelites that was rescued out of Egypt. But that generation wandered in the desert for 40 years. Most of them died off. That's a long story for another time. Or you can just read Exodus. Now, here in Deuteronomy, it's recorded again for another generation. The children and the children's children of that previous generation. This is the generation that is about to enter into the promised land. The Ten Commandments need to be remembered and reiterated, and so they're recorded again here in Deuteronomy. But this time, it's recorded a little differently. The first difference is a small one. In Exodus, the command is to remember the Sabbath. But here, it's observe the Sabbath. The Hebrew word here is shamar, which means to to keep watch over or to guard. And so we observe Sabbath in the way that we observe a holiday, like Christmas. And I think that's beautiful. We, we, we literally get a weekly holiday. But the next difference between Deuteronomy and Exodus comes at the end. Exodus says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. And so the reasoning and the rationale is, is that this is how God created the world. This is what he did. This is why we Sabbath. Here in Deuteronomy, it's this. Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, for you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there. In other words, observe the Sabbath because once you were slaves, but now you are not. Once we were slaves, now we are not So first, in Genesis and Exodus, Sabbath is about life rhythm. But here, it's about resistance. Sabbath is resistance. Say that out loud with me. Sabbath is resistance. Let's unpack that together. In Genesis, after God creates the world, establishes a good rhythm for life revolving around rest in him, The serpent tempts Adam and Eve by getting them to mistrust God, to get them to think that God is somehow not giving them all that they need and that he's somehow holding out on them. This is the first instance in in the history of human life where the enemy gets at this desire for more, where he gets us to essentially question whether God is enough, whether all that he gives and provides is enough. 
unfortunately, we know the story. They believe the serpent. They mistrust God and disobey. And so thus, the seed for discontent, dissatisfaction, restlessness, and grasping takes root and grows byproducts of the curse of sin. This theme of restlessness and grasping continues on through Genesis. Abraham, out of fear, grasps for control of his situations. Jacob's name literally means supplanter or or one who grasps. And then we get to the Exodus story. In order to create an empire like the Egyptian empire, you needed slave labor. For Pharaoh to live lavishly, he needed slave labor. People considered less than human. People to oppress, enslave, and and overwork so that he could enjoy his lifestyle. And so the Israelites live under oppression and slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. The curse of restlessness takes shape in the form of endless labor. Under Pharaoh and his slave drivers, life for the Israelites was cruel, endless labor, work. Work and work until death. And this lasted for 400 years. This became their identity, slaves. And so this is why the command to remember and observe Sabbath that came after their rescue is so important. They were no longer slaves to Egypt's systemic oppression and slavery. They were no longer under a slave-driving king. They were now a part of a new kingdom, under a new king, God, who is not a slave-driver. Since they had spent their entire lives as slaves, 400 years, With this as their primary identity, they needed to be reminded again and again that they were no longer slaves. But they also needed to be reminded that they were not to be slave drivers themselves. This is why we see the command extend to male and female servants, foreigners, and even animals. So under Sabbath, all receive rest. You, your family, your colleagues, your coworkers, even your cow, if you have a cow, or your dog. Now get this. Thousands of years later, we still need this command, possibly more than ever. We need the practice of Sabbath now more than ever. And as we've seen, generational patterns and sins get passed down from one generation to the next. As we've seen, we are still a grasping people, still a restless people. We're still grasping for work, work, and work. And then we are still grasping for more, more, and more. In our current age, we are coming to see that slavery in Egypt was a reality back then, but that it continues to be a theme now. Here's the proof. We still live as slaves. We live as slaves to expectations, our employers, our work, 
academia, cultural trends, societal pressures, peer pressure, expectations and burdens that God doesn't place on us. God is not a slave driver. And yet we even think that it's God's burdens that are heavy sometimes. Here in the United States, we work more than any other nation in the world. Here's a nice vocab word for today. Karoshi. Say that with me. Karoshi. Anyone here take Japanese? That is Japanese for death by overwork. There's actually a word for it in Japan. But get this, Americans work 137 hours more than the Japanese, 260 hours more than British people, and 499 hours more than the French. It's times like these when I wish I was French. And then there are the pastries and the wine and the delicious food. But I digress. Did you know that there was a point in history when technological advancements were made in hopes that we would work less? But then guess what? The reverse happened. You know, the, the trends and statistics show that technological advancements have actually led not to less work, but to more work. It's led to us being able to be on call at any time, which means we're never free from work. Our phones let us check email at any time of the day from any place in the world. Some say that's great. I say that's slavery. Now here's the irony. And we work more than ever. We also have more than ever, especially and very obviously here in the United States. You know, my fellow millennials and Gen Zers out there, you know, we spend more money than any of our previous generations on material goods. All the first generation people are like, preach. I see the trends in fashion and streetwear and how they, they literally change by the week. Gadgets and Apple products, and I am not surprised at all. You know, we, we spend insane amounts of money on clothes, shoes, tech, cars, home goods. Meanwhile, around us, in the rest of the world, and even in our own country, state, and this city, are people who can barely afford to put money on the table every night, to put dinner on the table every night. And then there's this reality. We work more than ever, and we have more than ever, and yet we are also unhappier than ever. Every year, rates of mental health struggles, anxiety, and depression climb. The number of suicides increases, and general happiness continues to decline. And our desire for more doesn't just kill our souls. It doesn't just rob us of joy, lead us to overwork, and then breed generations of entitled Americans. It promotes the evil systems that some of us thought died years ago. Newsflash, slavery is still alive. It's still alive. And there's a good chance that we have been complicit in the system. Modern slavery is alive and well. Human trafficking is alive and well. The sex trade is alive and well. Anytime we decide to indulge in pornography, we are supporting that evil system. Think of the clothes you wear, the shoes on your feet. All around the world, laborers work for not even minimum wage. 
And in most of our clothes are made by workers who barely receive a living wage. When we choose fast fashion especially, but really most fashion, we are inadvertently supporting a corrupt system. We've become slave drivers. Now, I don't mean to guilt trip you over those Nikes you're wearing uh, or your Gucci bag, but these are things that we as disciples of Jesus need to honestly re-examine. Am I supporting systemic slavery? In the same way that tiredness and exhaustion have become the norm, so has the constant grasping for more, the constant restlessness, and the constant slavery. We've seen it ingrained into the Israelites, and we've seen it ingrained into us, running far back to our ancestors. Think about our country. For for Vietnamese, for previous Vietnamese generations, there were the oppressive forces of colonialism, poverty, war, immigration, displacement, followed by the American machines, capitalism, materialism, workaholism. So we are we are in deep. And if we do not resist, there we will continue to live until we die. Overworked, exhausted dissatisfied, unfulfilled, joyless, and ultimately really far from God. We work more than ever before. We have more than ever before. And and yet we are unhappier than ever before. Not happier. And we might even, in our complacency, be more complicit in systemic injustice than ever before. And this is the norm. And so let us circle back to this refrain. This is not life to the full. This is not the life that Jesus promises and invites us into. This is the life that the enemy would like us to remain in, but not Jesus. This is the life that Jesus calls us out of the life that he calls us to die to so that we can live into something infinitely greater and far more beautiful. Life in his kingdom, under his kingship, where we are no longer slaves, but co-heirs, sons, and daughters. Grasping and restlessness do not have to be our norm. Life does not have to be this way. We can resist through Sabbath. We practice Sabbath because it's God's good rhythm for life, because it is a gift to enjoy, because it is a command from a loving God, but also because it is an act of resistance against the powers and principalities that enslave us. It's an act of resistance against systemic slavery, oppression, racism, materialism, greed, and corruption. Friends, hear this. Sabbath is an act of resistance against evil. To Sabbath is to resist evil. The question is, will you resist 
Will you launch a counterattack against the systems of evil that run our world? To be clear, work is not a bad thing. We were created to work, and we were created to work well. But work is not the thing. Work is not our end. Work is not our God. God is our God. When we say enough to work, we are essentially saying, my work is not my identity. It's not who I am. My job does not rule over me. God rules over me. I am not a slave. I am a beloved child of God. Having things is not bad, but there is a healthy limit. And a lot of times we overstep that healthy limit. But when we say enough to things, possessions, and more wealth, we are essentially saying, I have enough. My God loves me and provides for me. I do not need to grasp for more. I do not need to be complicit in the enslavement of others for my benefit. It's all about healthy limits. It's about enjoying life with Jesus as our king. And he's a good king. He's the best king. He's the only king who promises life to the full and can actually deliver it. He's the only king who gave his life to guarantee that for us. And so friends, we must resist. And it will not be easy. As I said earlier, we are in deep. We are deeply ingrained in the system that keeps us enslaved to work and excess. We are deeply seated in the broken systems that says that this is fine and normal. And as we resist, there will be pushback. We'll face both external and internal pushback. Externally, we already know we live in a Sabbath-less culture. To make matters worse, as Paul writes, there are spiritual powers and principalities at play keeping us away from God and away from Sabbath. There is a real spiritual evil at play beneath the systemic oppression, the greed, and the excess. And so when we practice Sabbath, we are engaging in something that is radical and countercultural. When we Sabbath, we are launching a counterattack against spiritual forces of evil. And we do so not alone, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. We join forces with God. And internally, we also feel tension and struggle. We will wrestle with the desire for gra to grasp for more. We will wrestle with the restlessness, the anxiety, the discontent, and greed, while at the same time feeling the tug of the Spirit you will feel this internal struggle between the ways and the rhythms of the world and the ways and the rhythms of Jesus all raging inside of you. But as we say no to the world more and more, as we say no to our flesh and our sinful desires more and more, as we say no to the devil, these forces do begin to lose their grip on us. This is why James writes, resist the devil 
and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The more we say yes to Sabbath, the more we say yes to Jesus and yes to the Holy Spirit at work in us, the more we tap into his power and his rest. The more we live into the fact that he is enough for us and all that he has given us is enough for us. Friends, Sabbath is our weapon. Sabbath reminds us we are no longer slaves. You are not a slave anymore. You are a citizen. You are a child. You are an heir in a new kingdom. Not an anti-Sabbath kingdom of oppression and slavery, but a kingdom of goodness, peace, and joy. Not a kingdom of restlessness, but a kingdom of restfulness. You have a new king. It's not your boss, it's not your job, it's not your career, it's not your bank account, it's not the lords of social media, it's not your grades, it's not your possession or your wealth, not the cultural norms and the expectations of our day. Your king is Jesus. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And he is offering the gift of Sabbath to you. He is calling you to resist. The question is, will you accept his invitation? Do you want rest for your souls? Will you Sabbath? Will you rest? Will you resist? Friends, let us join the resistance. Let's stand and pray. Father, once again, we, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you built this world with a good rhythm. We thank you that you call us and invite us into rest, to Sabbath, in order to enjoy you and to enjoy what you give us and how you love us. But Lord, we ask that you would lead us further and further into rest, knowing that as we rest in you and as we Sabbath, that we are resisting the powers and the principalities that rule this world. Lord, we thank you that you have rescued us out of slavery and that you've brought us into your kingdom and under your lordship. And we thank you for being a good king. And we ask that you would help us to live into that more and more each day by stopping and resting and Sabbathing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.